are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. The message of the resurrection began in the book of Matthew. We read in verse 57 of chapter 27, when the evening was come. Now you see, this is after uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. We've given a great deal of study to how he died. And last Sunday we spoke to you on the miracle of Calvary. Now Jesus has died on the cross. But when the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. And he went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Now that's very important to me, and I'll tell you why. You know, in the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, which is, it seems to me, is one of those mountain peaks of, of great teaching about Jesus in the Old Testament, 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, which was written 700 years before Jesus was ever born, before he ever came, by the way, of Bethlehem's manger. In that 53rd chapter of Isaiah, there are some of the greatest prophecies about how the Lord would come and how he would die and how he would be buried, and how he would arise from the dead, and so forth. For instance, in that chapter, it said, it tells us that he would be numbered with the thieves in his death. Now, you see, that was literally fulfilled when Jesus died. Because on the same day that they crucified Jesus, they took two thieves, and two thieves died as Jesus died. Now, why? Well, you know, Jesus said, the Scripture cannot be broken. Whatever God says is going to happen, that it's going to happen. And it's going to happen just exactly like God said it would happen. Now then, also in that 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, it said he would be numbered with the rich in his death. Now there are two things. Look like it'd be hard for them both to be fulfilled. He'd be numbered with the malefactors in his death, and he'd be numbered with the rich in his death. Now both of them are literally and minutely and accurately fulfilled. For here comes a man, Joseph of Arimathea. He's a disciple of Jesus. You don't read much about him in the Bible. And he was a wealthy man. Ms. Malone and I had the privilege to visit the tombs. Uh, it's not just one grave, but a large hewn right out of the stone, a tomb, a room, uh, large enough for three adults and one child. And it belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. It was in a garden. He was a wealthy man, and so the Bible is fulfilled. As Joseph of Arimathea and also Nicodemus that came to Jesus by night, who was a rich man, they, these two came and begged the body of Jesus. They said, don't put him out in the potter's field. This is Son of God. Let us have his body for burial. And Jesus was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And then you have the entombment, the preparation for death and so forth by the good women. Now then, let's notice chapter 28 and, and hurriedly. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him the keepers did shake and became his dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, 
For I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall see him, as I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear uh, and uh, great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. Now, the word all hail means old joy. Isn't it interesting to see that almost the first thing Jesus said out of the tomb was, Old joy. Joy. The Lord is risen from the dead. And they came and held him to the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren and that they may go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now notice verse 6 as a, more or less of a text this morning for our message. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Now someone has said, and I believe this to be true, that the greatest doctrine in the Bible is the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it has been called the archstone of all Christianity. You know, in the olden days, and you've seen pictures of it if you've never seen one actually, and you'll see many of them in the old world and in the Bible lands, you see these great stone archways. And right in the middle of every great stone archway is a big, thick, V-shaped stone. And it is said by builders and architects that that big, thick, V-shaped stone in the middle of a stone archway carries the weight of all the archways. And without it, the archway could not stand. And many of them have stood, have been built literally centuries ago, and are still standing. Now, Bible people believe that the archstone of all the Christian faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, you see, Jesus constantly said he would rise again. He said, destroy this temple, speaking of his body. I'll build it again in three days. He said to his disciples over and over again, he said, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, uh, be crucified of the chief priests and scribes and elders, and the third day rise again. And Jesus had promised that he would come forth from the dead. Now, suppose it hadn't happened. Why, well, everybody in the world would they'd be saved by the biggest imposter the world's ever known was that Jesus, who said he'd die and rise again, but he didn't. But thank God he did. I visited Napoleon's grave one time. And uh, while I was looking at Napoleon's grave, big, round, circular, beautiful thing, and almost a constant stream of people, never ends during the day hours, never ends people going to view the remains still in the casket uh, of Napoleon Bonaparte. And when I went by his grave in Paris, France, I said to myself, I thank God when I go to Jesus' grave, there's no one there. It's an empty tomb. Jesus, thank God, arose from the grave. Someone has said that the most attested fact, the most proven fact of all history is the resurrection of Jesus. And I believe that. You know, some folks think they know who discovered America. I used to think, I used to be pretty sure about it myself until I heard folks discuss it and I read a little bit more about it. And you know, it's not absolutely sure who discovered America. I know a lot of things that are not for sure. I couldn't tell you where the North American Indians came from to save my life. 
Do you have any idea how they got here and where they came from? I don't know. Some say America's Vespucius discovered America. Some say Columbus discovered America. I don't know about some of those things, but I want to tell you the truth. The most attested fact of all history is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, arose from the grave. And he lives this morning. You know, there are a number of ways I know he lives. And I'm not trying to be theological today. I'm speaking to you out of my heart. There are a number of ways I know Jesus lives. In 1935, 19 years of age, and lost and without God and absolutely without hope and without peace, someone preached to me again and again, why, if you'll accept Jesus, he'll come in your life and forgive your sins and give you peace in your heart. He'll make a new creature out of you, and he'll give you peace of heart and mind and and a consciousness of absolute forgiveness. And I came to Jesus. And that's just exactly what happened. And in 1935, 29 years ago, Jesus Christ saved me and changed me and cleansed me and came into my life. You think that could have happened if Jesus had been conquered by the grave? Never. Well, you know, I read in the Bible that if you go to God in prayer and pray in the name of Jesus, that you'll get your prayers answered. I've gone to the throne of grace thousands of times and lifted to God my Father the name of Jesus and asked him to answer my prayer in the name of Jesus. And God's answered my prayer in Jesus' name. You think that would happen if Jesus' body had rotted away yonder in a Syrian tomb, not on your life? There are two things. It's not theological nor profound, but it's true. Two things that prove Jesus rose from the dead. The fact that he saves people from sin. The fact that he answers prayer today realistically in the life of a Christian. You know, there were two men in England. One of them's name was West, and I just named the other man years ago. Two brilliant young men set about to disprove Christianity. They said there are two things. If anybody in the world could do two things, they'd put Christianity in all. They, they'd eliminate Christianity from the earth if we can do two things. One is, take the greatest Christian, people say the greatest Christian, the greatest miracle of grace, the greatest Christian the world's ever known, the Apostle Paul, and disprove his conversion. One man said, I'll take that. The other one said the other thing is, if we can disprove, the resurrection of Jesus Christ will prove there's nothing to Christianity. They said we'll spend 12 months on these two subjects, you one and me one. In the 12 months, we'll meet back and compare our findings and our study. At the end of 12 months, the first man said, I've studied about the Apostle Paul and the glorious experience he had on the Damascus Road when a risen, living Jesus appeared to him in the sky. I not only found the Apostle Paul actually lived and was converted and was miraculously changed and went about preaching and winning hundreds of people and holding revivals and establishing churches and was the greatest missionary the world has ever known and became a martyr for Jesus outside the walls of Rome. I've not only found all this to be true, he said, but I believe in Jesus Christ myself and I have been wonderfully saved. The other man said, Glory to God. I've been studying about the resurrection, trying to disprove it. And as I've studied it, it's been revealed to me that Jesus arose from the grave 
lives to receive those who trust him. And he said, I too have been wonderfully converted. And two of the greatest writings on the resurrection and the conversion of Paul are by these two men who set out to disprove Christianity. You know, there was a Frenchman uh, years ago that he said, said, I believe I'll start me a new religion. You know, a lot of folks have tried to do that. A lot of them. There's the Prophet Jones and the Daddy Grace and all these uh, shysters. That's all they are. They're farce. They're the devil's tools. They don't know God. They're just as far from God as the heathen in the darkest points of the earth. And they've been fawned off on the American people. And uh, a Frenchman said, I believe I'll start me a new religion. wonder how I'll go about it. And somebody that wasn't even a Christian, wasn't even a believer, said, Well, I'll tell you a good way to start. First of all, get crucified. And then if you want to have a real religion, then rise from the dead. And the fellow said, That kind of eliminates it for me. And let me tell you, Jesus, thank God, arose from the dead. The Mohammedan points to Mecca, where the founder of his religion is buried. But thank God the Christian, the Christian this morning, rejoices in an empty tomb and an occupied throne. Jesus lives in the glory. The resurrection of Jesus. That's the message of the angels on that first Sunday morning after Calvary. They said, he is not here. That's wonderful music to me. He's not here. He is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Now, friends, the Bible emphasizes, and I want you to notice carefully, the Bible emphasizes two things that are true because of the resurrection. Now, there are many others, but I mean two great things. First of all, justification. Secondly, judgment. In the book of Romans, chapter 4, we read he was delivered for our offenses. That's Calvary. He was delivered for our offenses. We studied that last Sunday. He was delivered for our offenses. That's his death and shedding his blood on the cross. He was raised for our justification. You see, Jesus was raised for our justification. What justification means? It means for those who believe in the Son of God that the Lord justifies you. I, there's no end to what could be said about the blessings of being justified in the eyes of God. It means God looks upon you and declares you righteous in His sight because Jesus is in your life. You're robed in the righteousness of Christ. It means that God does not hold your sins against you anymore. It means you've been cleansed, forgiven, pardoned. It means that God, a holy God that hates sin, sees you in his Son, and he justifies you. That is, he declares you just as righteous in Christ, as if you had never sinned one time. He was delivered for our offenses, raised again for our justification. Secondly, Paul, in his sermon uh, in uh, Athens, as it's recorded in the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, said that God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world by that man Jesus Christ, whom he hath given, whom he hath raised from the dead, and hath given assurance in that he hath raised him from the dead. Notice it again. God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world. What's his guarantee? 
that God is going to judge every man and woman. The guarantee is, the assurance is, the Bible says, is that he has raised him from the dead. Now listen, this is a Bible truth, and this is a serious thought. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees that every man and woman is going to be brought to judgment. They're going to stand before a glorified, risen Jesus. Not one robe in blood and crowned with thorns, but one, thank God, exalted with all power to judge the world. You know, I'm glad I'm saved this morning, aren't you? I'm glad I have the Lord in my life. I just thank God, and I feel more unworthy every day I live, and the more I think about the miracle of being saved and the miracle of being forgiven. And the joy of having the Lord in your life, I thank God for it. And I thank God for living Jesus. And I'm going to see him. And I'm going to be made like him. Oh, the miracle of being a child of God. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org.